Davis Nordell, the Senior Technology Analyst at RSM, would like to introduce today's podcast by offering a few insights. Today, he says, we will hear from Mark Mater, CEO of Smartsheet. Smartsheet is a Bellevue, Washington-based enterprise platform for dynamic work that aligns people and technology so your entire business can move faster, drive innovation, and achieve more. Mark shares his perspective on how Smartsheet reaches a broader set of employees and empowers them to fundamentally change how process and reporting happens. He will tell us how Smartsheet is positioned to capture market share in a post-COVID world where the diversity of software solutions to address workforce collaboration will move from telephone and video communications to collaborative work management. And he'll offer a nugget of advice for entrepreneurs thinking of building a product or solution in the current environment. You don't want to miss it. Enjoy today's podcast and thank you to RSM for supporting this program. Welcome to another episode of the Secrets of the Middle Market podcast. Today we're talking with Mark Mater, CEO of Bellevue-based Smartsheet. Smartsheet is a software as a service company specializing in workflow, collaboration, and content management. The company, Mater said, aims to transform how businesses take in information and report it, often assisted by automated workflows. Smartsheet has more than 100,000 customers and serves most of the Fortune 500 and 100, Mater said. Its largest enterprise customers buy over $3 million in software each year. Its smallest customers, say consulting boutiques and similar businesses, spend just a couple hundred dollars a year. Mater said his company's software is highly configurable and can be applied to any industry. The company's customers range from the federal government to healthcare, insurance, finance, biotech, and beyond. Mater said Smartsheet's relationship with new customers often starts with a single business person approaching the company with a specific need. From there, Smartsheet works with the customer to meet that need, and Mater said Smartsheet software often becomes relevant to larger portions of a business's workflow. Mater calls it the earned enterprise. Here's Mater describing that concept. Many started with very small footprints, and we called it the earned enterprise. The earned enterprise is is a process which is really a bottom-up motion, where people get to experience the product, share the product, prove the product's value, and then expand over time. And it's very similar to what Salesforce did over the years. And, And a lot of SaaS companies take a similar approach. Mater says he's still astounded by the power of the web to transform business, something a lot of us take for granted. I talked with Mater about what it takes to fundamentally change how work happens, especially during the COVID pandemic when so many are working remotely. We also talked about leading a tech company through COVID, what it takes to succeed as a leader and a member of a team. It's what Mater calls listening with a clear-minded, neutral ear. Mater shared with me what kinds of new ideas truly disrupt marketplaces and how to bring those ideas to life. Thanks, Mark, for taking the time to talk with us. To start, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be at the helm of Smartsheet. I think it it starts with how I got into software about uh, 25 years ago. And uh, I was uh, with a company, Northwest-based company called Onyx Software. 
which was in the CRM space, customer relationship management. A great team of people was part of the team when it was a small company and really developed my love for software at that company. Over the course of 10 years, uh, got to learn from some great leaders and help grow that business to you know, north of 100 million, was part of the team uh, when it went public. And, and also on the lessons learned side, got up close and personal to the power of SaaS, software as a service. We were a client server uh, based solution at the time. And we were disrupted by, as all the other CRM players were, by Salesforce.com. And uh, my interest in SaaS really spiked as a result of that. And I had the opportunity to join Smartsheet, basically at the embryonic stage of a whopping six people pre-product, pre-revenue back in 2006. And uh, so in terms of how did I get to the helm of Smartsheet, the, the helm was a team of uh, six people. <laughs> it's important to put perspective. But I'm, I'm you know, very grateful for having had an opportunity to be part of two high-growth software companies. And I think the, even though Onyx is a client-server environment, some of the principles are still wholly relevant in terms of customer need, customers' willingness to pay for something, customers' ability to consume new concepts, a lot of those are highly transferable from client server to SaaS, uh, and, and really they apply to all of There are a lot of cloud-based, enterprise-grade productivity and collaboration apps out there, and the landscape can be pretty confusing. In a nutshell, what is Smartsheet, and what do you offer that others don't? I think that I will speak to the what, but I think it is also very important to pair the what with the how and the by whom. And I think people's tendency is to often describe what features they have and, and what it does. And the much less interesting to many people part of the conversation is who can actually do what will it take? <laughs> it's the conveniently forgotten dimension. So what we do is we help businesses use Unify how workflow, collaboration, and content management come together. Now, so what does that mean? So companies right now, most countries, most workers are trying to figure out how to, a fancy way of saying, how do we take mechanisms and processes interactions we have that were historically uh, human-driven, manually-driven, required a lot of energy to uh, achieve an output, an outcome, to allowing people to work in tight unison with technology to do things faster, better, more collaboratively. So very often people will use Smartsheet to uh, collect information. How do we take information in? How do we update that information together? How do we identify and create automation? I was on a, in a self-directed automated way. And then how do we Try to reduce the tax on people by distributing information, reports, dashboards, and such, so that we don't always have to be interrupting each other. Hey, Tony, what's the status of? Or the client trying to understand what the status of something is. Now, each of those concepts, intake, workflow, automation, reporting, these concepts have been around for decades. And so that's not the solely unique thing about the company. What is unique is that we are enabling people in businesses who have historically not been able to participate in the configuration of these things, and we are empowering them to actually achieve. 
So someone who has historically been less technically inclined but knows their business really participate and be an active configurer and digital transformer of their business. And that is a very exciting thing because historically, um, a lot of technology has been out of reach for most people. And people would argue, Mark, everyone's been using tech for the last 20 years. Between being a pure consumer and a producer is very different things. We've all used email. We've all Zoomed. We've all done a bunch of stuff every single day. But have you fundamentally changed how process happens? Have you fundamentally changed how you report out information? Have you fundamentally changed how people participate in that? That is what more people are able to do with smart. The big tech story of 2020 is no doubt going to be how COVID accelerated the adoption of all kinds of technologies as more people work remotely and live their lives online. The figures I've heard, depending on the tech involved, is that COVID catapulted the mainstream adoption of all of this tech to, in most cases, three years ahead of schedule. Are you seeing that in your business? And if so, how? I, I, we are seeing clearly each of our customers having to respond to a distributed workforce. And the pressure to, to mobilize and transform is not optional now. It is being forced upon them. And what I will also say, though, is while that reality is very much in play, I, I do not subscribe to the notion that it's a big bang approach where all transformation happens within a nice, tidy 30-day window. I still think it is a phase thing. They might put distributed, having a distributed workforce and security right at the forefront of that. The next basic need they might have is the ability of one another with something like a Zoom or a Teams or a Google Hangout, something like that. Hangouts, email, and the base correspondence is through air, food, water type requirement. And I think what will happen is in the quarter, as the quarters unfold and we realize that we will likely remain in a more distributed environment than going to normal or back to what it was like, I think people will, will, will realize quite quickly that just, commu- just collaborating through communication is woefully over time. It's actually not sustainable, I believe. And they will be looking at mechanisms for how to better plan, how to manage energy account better report out how to how to reduce the tax on each other from running our businesses because you you can't our brains aren't large enough and can't process quickly enough to be able to just process communication 24 7 we need a reference point and i think what we will see is in the coming quarters we will see an increase in diversity of the types of solutions people are relying on to work in this distributed thing. But we are still very much in phase one where most of the activities in the video communication uh, messaging realm, but I think over time, people will move out. So I think over a multi-year frame, absolutely. I think in this first quarter or two post-COVID, I think there have been a couple of, a couple of participants who've received most of that tailwind in the communication realm. Are you among them? We're definitely in the collaboration. In terms of being a communication platform, we do not provide telephony. We do not provide video communication. So we are really 
in that, I would argue, that next phase that comes when people are trying to now is what they are talking about, how to manage accountability, how to report out on progress. Those are the things that are suited for the communications players and really well suited for the category that we're in, which is called collaborative work management, which does the tracking, the updating, the automating and such. Okay, so given that shift, what do you need to do to put yourself in the best position to capitalize on this growing need? I think one of my favorite ways to do that is by learn through example and present your solution in the context of something that people are trying to solve today. So one of the great examples that we had from, from April, May was as companies were responding to their being their distributed, needing to communicate information out around COVID, needing to capture information around which employees might be at higher risk or which symptomatic and tracing within their population. All of those require dissemination of information, reference points that people can get to information flows in terms of people saying I'm these people those are all mechanisms that Smartsheet was able to help with so we had 18,000 companies deploy the template set this baseline solution for COVID information management and, and team management and that was such a wonderful way to get people exposed to what Smartsheet provides albeit it wasn't really transforming their their standard business flows it, but it was introducing them to Smartsheet through a very relevant topic area. So those are the types of things that we do to introduce people to our dashboard and to our forms, to our automation flows. And uh, and, and what we what we expect to have happen, and we started seeing some of this already, they got introduced to us through that mechanism and are now figuring out how to apply those that tooling to other parts of their business. And what would you say has been the pandemic's biggest impact on your company? whether it's having to adjust internally to this new reality or your client's needs. We live in an age where people credit technology for many things. And we look at to improve our lives, make us more effective, more efficient as well. I think what people conveniently forget sometimes is that, that people, humans, are still vitally important <laughs> to uh, experiencing happiness experiencing and regulation. And I would say the challenge uh, we face has not been on a security dimension, has not been on a technology dimension, it's been on a human dimension. And keeping people aligned, making sure that people have hope. Uh, and I think it's so important that people believe that, that the trajectory is pointed in the up direction. And I think when things get tough, especially when you have multiple shocks of the system on one another, it's, it's easy for people to, it's tempting for people to cope when so much is coming at them. So I would say the, the, the human dimension, that psychological safety zone has been under the greatest pressure. It has not been a technology challenge. It's been a, it's been a human and a mental challenge for people. And I think it continues to be. What are the leadership qualities that you found your employees responded well to throughout this whole pandemic mess? I, I think a few that come to mind are authenticity, candor, transparency. I think a willingness to admit that even as a leader of a company, you don't have all the answers. 
answers. And I, I think people, it, it might feel good to some people in the moment to make guarantees, to make promises, to assert something that you really have no business asserting. But if you've been around the block a few hundred times, you realize when you assert something that you have no right hurting, it comes out eventually and you need to, as they say, karma. There's that saying about karma. And, and I really think that during times of extreme need, people want to be able to have clarity on the next that we, we do have the ability to control. So that is with values, educating people on how you make decisions. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a popularity contest and that you can please everybody, but clarity is vitally important, I think, right now. So the people that I really admire are the people, even under extreme circumstances, who have a sense of calm, who show that their values are consistently deployed as opposed to situationally applied. Those are the people who really uh, stand out to me. And that's what I try to emulate. To your point, there's been a fair amount of talk lately, a sort of increased awareness about the relationship between stress and the body and regulating the limbic system. Uh, what's your take on that? And how does that play into the way that you approach working with employees? I am someone who deeply believes that the state of caring, the trait of empathy, the trait of competitiveness is something that actually can't be taught. If you are not a caring person, I can't put you through the course and develop that trait fully. But I will say, if, if there is some aspect of competitiveness, some aspect of caring, I think it can be exercised, it, it can develop. And part of some of the tactics are, how do you focus on things? How are you intentional about the things, doing the things that you would normally in a steady state not want to do? And that doesn't mean you, you, you don't have the capacity to care, <laughs> but how do you develop those traits? And sometimes it's actually quite formulaic. It's how do I, what do, what do I want to do in the next six months? What is my personal development plan? When I go into a big planning meeting, what do I look at to remind myself how I want to include my fellow leaders in decisions as opposed to checking down with maybe one leader and then telling the rest of the team what we're going to do. How do you become a more inclusive person in your uh, processes? And uh, But I think fundamentally, it needs to be part of your core to be able to for it to be activated. And what I've learned for 25 years plus of learning, I think there's some people who don't possess that. <laughs> you just need to make sure not to stop yourself with those people. <laughs> One of the things that I've learned over time is that the best way to bring about change in oneself or within an organization is routine. Building some aspect of that change into yourself day after day. Do you build the things that you were just talking about into your routine to make sure that you're doing them? Absolutely. And, and one, of the, one of the things that we do as a company and also in, in smaller groups like our senior leadership team, we do uh, 360s. We do uh, so 360 reviews. Those are anonymous. And it really gives people a safe space and a safe mechanism for, for reading you. So if you say, here are your priorities, Mark. Here's what you've told us you're going to in the next six months. We'd actually like to give you feedback on whether we think you're hitting the mark. Because you might in your own mind think you're just 
absolutely nailing it. Like, I'm perfect. I am absolutely nailing my development plan. But if nobody perceives you as nailing it, have you really succeeded? And I think very often people convince themselves of the situation when, in fact, the rest of the population doesn't agree with them. Uh, so that ability to influence and be aligned with others, I think it's fundamental to realizing if you're making progress or hitting the mark. So that, so I guess the process and the mechanism would be how do you get others to uh, participate in the rating to perform? And that, and very often that is in a sort of a manager employee type relationship. I see tremendous value in peer based review. So what advice would you give executives who were reviewing the results of that kind of inquiry? What should they be looking for in there? And when they find surprises there, both positive and perhaps unpleasant, what kind of mindset should they be bringing to that review? I think one of the things that I work hard at doing is trying to not react in the moment. Have a list listening posture as opposed to a reactive posture. And I think very often when people, it's very difficult to, especially when you receive critical feedback, to not want to challenge, to not want to explain. And I think when you're in that forward-leaning reactive posture, I think it's so easy to stop listening. So I think just being super intentional about being clear-minded, neutral ear when you get that feedback. And one of the things that we often do to just to, to talk about to really agree on how we're going to communicate with each other is focus less time on telling someone how they are and what their intention was and focus more on how you felt. So I actually, I will never be in a position, Tony, to be able to tell you, this is why you did it. This is how you felt. And this is what the result was. I might be able to speak to the result, but I won't be able to fully know your motivations were. But what I, with great confidence say is, when you when you communicate with Jenny that way, I felt very uncomfortable. I felt that you weren't very inclusive. I felt that I felt that had that been my idea, I would not have been valued as a fear of yours. And I just felt very uncomfortable. Now you can't tell me that I didn't feel that way. And by by focusing more on how I felt in that feedback, as opposed to telling you how you are, I think it really neutralizes the setting. And it doesn't prompt someone to say, that's not how I felt. That's not what my motivation was. And it, it sounds very simple as I say that. It's very difficult to do because our temptation as people is to always just to judge, judge. <laughs> Focus more time, more time on how you feel and enrolling people in that. And you typically get better support. Let's transition for a moment to what advice you'd give the Puget Sound region's startups in navigating this current COVID landscape and beyond, there's a certain degree of, I don't know what's going to happen next out there. As a matter of fact, a, a great degree of uncertainty. And I'm curious what you would tell companies that are currently about the size that Smartsheet was when you joined to help them navigate the current landscape, which doesn't look like it's going to change until we have a vaccine. I would, if I was starting a company today, I would want to really pressure test my idea to see if I was trying to capitalize an immediate term, a near term, or long term moment. 
And so it's almost like, how durable is your concept? So when we started Smartsheet, we were talking, we were really playing off of the continued transition to cloud-based applications. We, we felt that people were going to move from on-prem to cloud over a multi-decade window. And when you have a longer-term horizon, even if, when I say a, a, a smaller short-term could be against a 20-year backdrop, two years is short-term. Two years is, high, is very temporary. If, you were, if you're trying to make a momentum play, you're trying to take advantage of something maybe, let's say, in advance of the election or in the context of the next year or two, you're much more susceptible to market swings. So for us, this notion of, of do we think cloud computing is going to be dramatically increasing in the next decade or two? Yes. Do we think that people are going to have a pressure to work more collaboratively or less in the future, more collaboratively? Do we think that system decisions and software is going to become diversified within companies from only IT being responsible for procuring, customizing, and deploying, or will it be multifaceted? IT doing that plus ownership of the edge existing. We thought that was going to be a truth. So again, focus on, uh, don't fool yourself into thinking that an episodic or near-term momentum play is a multi-decade play. And I think when you're trying to justify something, you know, maybe apply your own thinking to it and then have someone who's maybe a little less biased uh, validate that for you. So those are some really, I think, important things to take into consideration. I think one other piece that is easy for a startup to is over is, is what you're doing meaningfully different or differentiated from what someone else is providing? So the notion of better, faster, cheaper, that typically is not sufficient to disrupt the market. Are you doing something fundamentally different? Are you serving someone fundamentally new? Are you building a capability that doesn't exist elsewhere? Again, people sometimes feel that better, faster, uh, easier is going to be enough to take huge share. I would say it really is. Rarely is. Based on my 25 years of experience. You mentioned something about the robustness of the business model, the core premise. A lot of companies have had to pivot because of COVID, and some of them have done it in really creative ways the light bulb came on, the universe smiled at the right moment. What advice would you give in terms of looking at that core premise and pivoting off of that to adapt to the COVID landscape? Well, it, I guess I would ask the business owner or the leadership team, are you doing that to expand your opportunity or are you doing that to survive? And both are valid reasons. I would say if you're doing it to survive, then you, you might not have another choice. And the justification over whether you should or shouldn't is maybe moot. <laughs> like you need to do something because your business evaporated in your existing market. I would say that the company that's trying to expand into an area, not for survival purposes, but for taking advantage of a marketing opportunity or a market opportunity, I would probably say, are you doing that? Are you putting your mainline strategy at risk uh, and diluting yourself by taking on another thing that, that appears very compelling, but maybe puts the core of your business at, at greater risk from hitting its performance numbers. But some, again, everyone's got a different story, right? We've seen some incredible stories where people have, as you said, had to pivot their business. 
uh, out of necessity and, and some very creative innovation has come from that. Uh, but I think everyone, it's hard to apply a single playbook to that because people's situations are so diverse. This has been a great discussion. I know I learned a lot from it and we really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. I think part of what we can do for each other during this great stress and change is to share experiences. And I think learning from each other is critical. I know part of the, the success that I've had over 25 years is absolutely a function of hard work. And I would say a larger part is a function of people being generous with their time and sharing experiences. And so thank you for giving me the opportunity. It was our pleasure. Thank you again, Mark. Mark Mader, CEO of Smartsheet. Be sure to join us next time for the Secrets of the Middle Market podcast.